0: Hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour with Jamie IV. I am your host, Jamie, and today we have a great show for you. Before we jump into the show, I want to remind you about something that I was thinking that I hadn't told you about in so long, and that is our marriage challenge. In 2020, Erin and I were working on our book, Compliment, that released actually this month, and marriage got hard uh, for a lot of reasons. COVID and quarantine and, and life getting turned upside down, and we decided come 2021, we want to help equip People to work on their marriages while we alongside work on ours as well. And we thought, let's use some of the same platform that we already have. And so we created the 2021 Marriage Challenge. And what it is, is, you sign up, it is completely free. And every month we send you a conversation that we have with another couple about marriage. We talk about forgiveness and following and leading and cheering for each other, what we expected marriage to be. And so here we are in March, which means we've already released three episodes. If you sign up, you can listen to everything all the way back through. January. We not only release a podcast episode with them that you just get when you sign up, we also give you date night ideas and conversations to have on your dates to enhance and deepen your marriage connection. So if you would love to join, we would love to have you go to Aaron and erinandjamieivy.com. And on that webpage, you're going to find information about the 2021 Marriage Challenge. Don't forget, completely free. We just want to provide resources to help you guys and to help us all work on our marriages so that at the end of this year, we can say, hey, we put in the work. We did it. We care about each other and our togetherness. Guys, today's a good show. On my show is longtime journalist and news anchor, Richard Louie. Richard just released a book this week, actually, titled, Enough about me. Today we talk about selflessness and Richard specifically talks about the journey of caring for his dad who currently has Alzheimer's. We talk about the importance of being selfless and doing the right thing. As Richard's job has taken him to a lot of hardships, he's experienced that he's covered personally and that he's covered as a journalist. He's also seen people step up in selflessness and we talk about that today. At the very end, he talks about a concept called three lunches. I want you to listen to it so that you can really get a grasp of what he's saying Guys, sit back. Here's my conversation with Richard Louie. Richard, welcome to The Happy Hour. Jamie, it's
1: great to be here. Thanks. My first ever.
0: Your first ever time on The Happy Hour. Not your first ever Happy Hour, but...
1: (laughs) First time on, definitely your Happy Hour, but in addition, uh, a podcast for this book. So... Way to go.
0: I'm your very first podcast interview?
1: For the book, yeah.
0: For the book, yeah. Well, this is exciting. And so I get to get the very first time for you to talk about it. Before we jump into it, because I have a lot of questions about the project that you're releasing. Well, when this is airing, it just released this week. I have a lot of questions about it. But first, introduce yourself to all of my listeners so they know who they're listening to today.
1: So, uh, Jamie, uh, I guess... Most of the time, I'm a journalist and have been so for either 15 or 30 years, whichever way you look at it. And right now at MSNBC and NBC News, uh, before that was with CNN. And before that, I was doing all these tiny little startups along the way before becoming a full-time journalist. So that's kind of me in 30 seconds.
0: That's a big difference, 15 and 30 years. Can you explain on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, when I was in college, I volunteered for the uh, news station. And then after that, I stopped doing news, if you will, for the next 15 years. And I was working in business. But I think the start of journalism, strangely, is at church camp in Lake Tahoe, where me and a buddy of mine, it was about a seven to nine day long thing. And one year we were in high school and I kind of look back and I've only had to look back recently when I was going through the process of the book to say, when did journalism actually start for me? And it started at church camp when me and a buddy of mine, when we were maybe 14 or something like that, we said, let's put together the newsletter or the newspaper for church camp. And so we would start at 10 p.m., work all the way to 6 a.m. Together, he and I, writing these articles about what happened during the day. And then we'd slip it underneath everybody's door or tent So you got up and you had this, it was called the Daily Bugle. And we had a lot of good fun. It was very humorous. Well, we thought it was humorous, but I'm sure it was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 14 year old boys. Yeah. What
1: else? Yeah, exactly. So that's, I think the beginning, but then it's the break in between. So that's why it's either 15 or 30 or something like that, depending how you look at it.
0: You were on the cutting edge, (laughs) getting that New York Times under your door at a hotel, you know, that we all get (laughs) and you were doing it at church camp. Now, my next question, did you hang out and play all day and still stay up all night?
1: Yeah. So then we deliver it like six or seven and then we'd take a nap. Uh, We might go to sunrise service. Maybe, maybe not, depending how we felt. Then we'd nap and then we'd participate. But we definitely had to sleep. Yeah, we we were whooped.
0: This is so good. (laughs) I love that so much. And look, it's the start of your career, which I'll give you and the listeners a little behind the scenes. Whenever I'm interviewing someone like you, I come into the interview with a little bit of apprehension because let me tell you, Jamie Ivey is not a journalist. Jamie Ivey is just, let's have a conversation for the podcast. But I always think like, oh my gosh, Richard is such a professional. No. I am just a hack over here.
1: No, I, you know, watching your show, your podcast, as well as your new TV show, congratulations. Thank you. Is to see that you wear all those hats, which I think... You know, you already knew, but it's just now very much in front. And the naturalness, which you are on TV, you'd think you've been doing TV for your entire life. So no wow, way. Richard, no way. You can
0: go ahead and just send my number to any of the network executives that you know. Just send them on over to the Jamie Ivey show and let them see it. Richard, I am super excited about chatting with you today because this is a conversation that honestly... Well, two parts of this conversation that I would say I have not had in seven years of the podcast. A, I don't think I've ever had an in-depth conversation with someone who is having to grapple with becoming a caregiver for their aging, sick parent while also on a career track. And those two things are in conflict and you've walked through that. And so that's the conversation. But also you have this brand new book that just came out this week called Enough About Me, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness. And... And when I got it in the mail, I thought, selflessness, that's like Mother Teresa, that's like the man that runs into the fire to get to save the children from the fire. Is that me? And so you dive in to that concept in this book. And so a, I just want to hear, first of all, tell me where this concept of you even having to grapple with, what does selflessness look like? How did that begin for you in your life?
1: Yeah, it started caring for my dad when he got diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease about eight years ago. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to work full time. I'm in New York. He's in California. And, you know, he had done, we can talk about more about this later. He'd done so much great stuff for me. You know, why wouldn't I stop and rethink what I'm doing for him? Mm -hmm. So I decided, you know, let me see what it might mean. And by the way, there's no such thing as a part-time news anchor. It's seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day. (laughs) Right. And so I realized going into the office, it could be that discussion. Well, Richard, we, we love you a lot. You like us too, but you know, sometimes things don't work out and that's okay. Right. That's just life. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Yvette Miley said to me, well, tell you what, guess what? I'm a long distance caregiver too, for my mom in Florida. And let's think about four ideas about how to make this work. And so we came up with some ideas a year later when I then had to go back to her and say, well, Yvette, I got to go back now. We got to pull the lever on one of those ideas right now. Mm -hmm. And... The kindness and the selflessness that she exhibited to help me is what began a journey of things I never thought I would ever see. But I do believe in this case, Jamie, that it's about my father also, about the way he has lived through this and his life before. You don't often sit down and it's really great. In the beginning of the book, you remember I I talk about being halftime and we don't often sit at halftime or even first quarter and Mm -hmm. go, where am I? What can I do? What can I do better? You know, the book's about selflessness. By no means am I some sort of expert about selflessness. I'm just sharing what it's like to have to explore it, right? Yeah. But that's where it started, Jamie.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask you this. As you were entering into that stage of thinking, okay, I really feel like I need to go home and help your mom and your dad as he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. But you're also torn. I mean, that's just the reality. You're also torn of like, I have my whole life in front of me. But you look back and you think about your dad. How did it feel for you? To grapple through, I should go, I don't want to, I want to. How was that process for you?
1: It's never the same note every day. It's never the same song every day. It is everything you can imagine. And then you taking a step back to see what's good for you. And so I had the tough days where, you know, I'd be like, I'm losing this job of being a news anchor. But most of the days it was, okay, this is the right thing to do. Mm. It's not all peaches and cream, as I say. Yeah, And it's yeah. still not that. But I accept that. And as you know, in the book, in that sort of exploration. It's okay for it not to be perfect, but to still strive for the yeah. perfect opportunity.
0: That's so good. You talk in the book about selflessness being like a muscle that you have to train. And I think that, you know, when I was thinking about that, as I was exploring this conversation with you, I'm like, I think we could say that about so many things, you know, when you're like, oh, gratitude, I have to train myself to be a grateful person. we' just in ourselves, we are very selfish people. So you talk about it being this muscle. How do we train ourselves to be more selfless?
1: One of the ideas, so, is to do little things. We don't have to be Mother Teresa or Desmond Tutu. We don't have to be these amazing doctors and nurses all across our country and our world that have stepped forward. I can't be that. But if there's little things I can do, that will build the muscle. It's a lot like when you're training for anything. The reason why the great athletes, and you've interviewed many yourself as I was looking at your work, these Olympians, Merolikai, for instance, for her, she trains, you were talking about training with her. The reason why she's good is because she trains every day. So when the tough thing happens, Mm -hmm. she has the muscles to react. And so when we do little selfless things every day, whether it's buying, and you've seen it, buying the coffee for the person behind Mm you or asking, how are you doing? And really stopping to think, how are you doing for that moment? Whether it's opening doors, which we've often heard, or volunteering for five hours once a month. These may seem like, does this make me a holistically a selfless person? My answer to that is yes, but does it mean that is the big gargantuan leap? No, but guess what happens when that leap happens? Is that you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. When you look at those nurses and those doctors, why is it that they showed up the next day, right? I grab my head as a news person. I watch them. You've seen it, right? They're talking Mm -hmm. into the camera. They're in their car. They're not sure if they're going to survive. They don't have the right gear. And I'm like, but guess what they do? Mm -hmm. They show up the next day. And so for me, that's because every day of their life in their career, they were doing a little thing. And then when the big thing happened, this horrible year that we've had, they're our shining light because they had the muscles to step forward as our care heroes in the last year. And that idea of doing something little is the acceptance that I'm not perfect and that if I can just do that little bit in my imperfection, at least I'm trying to get better.
0: Okay. So here's the question I think some people might be asking as they're listening to you talk about this. And me, I'm listening like, yes, I want that. I want all the little things so that when the big thing comes, I am ready. But at the end of the day, Richard, does it matter if we're selfless or not? I mean, like, am I going to be hurting someone? Is it going to be better for me as a person to be selfless? What's the difference in if I am or if I'm not?
1: Well, if I'm not selfless and I live a selfish life, then I would look at the other extreme, right? Let's say I love being selfish. It is all about me. I'm a selfie king. Everything is about look at Richard. Well, then I would argue, look at the selfish pandemic we live through, is what I say. Look at how we use hateful speech and how productive Mm -hmm. that is so easily. Look at the hate crimes that we've never seen such a large number before. Look at the prejudices that we keep and therefore the lack of opportunity that is for us to meet other great people because I have a prejudice and in the book, we talk about how to get past those, because that's human. That's human. Mm-hmm. But do we want the selfish pandemic to continue? Do we want this idea of cancel culture? If I'm not like you or you're not like me, then we don't talk. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, why, why not be live a selfish life, right, is because when we reach that extreme, which we're very close to right now, it ain't good.
0: It's not good. We're seeing it. We're, we're seeing it. We're living good. it. Yeah.
1: The number of crimes that right now in the, for instance, within the last couple of months, we've seen hate crimes against Asian Americans, for instance. I don't know why. I have no idea why. But, you know, elderly people being thrown into the street and the ground. And we don't know why. But guess what? On the flip side, there are these amazing selfless people that are standing up for this. So, you know, as a journalist, you know, I've covered way too many mass shootings and massacres and terror attacks. But I have always seen people stand up. Mm. And do things like run towards the fire. Yeah. And they inspire me. Mm. I always have to be careful because, you know, Jamie, I really am inspired by people and by the stories that I've been able to tell, but there's a right time for it. It's just like you and I talking about selflessness. Now's the right time for it.
0: Mm. What are some of those stories that you've covered of people that have stood out to you that have exhibited that selflessness in the midst of whatever circumstance they find themselves in?
1: In one of the chapters, I talk about Muhammad, who owns a corner store in Ferguson, Missouri. And I was there to cover the story of the death of Michael Brown. And Muhammad's store would get torched every night. But Muhammad would open his store with whatever was left the next day. And then he would get torched again. And so when I interviewed him, I was like, Muhammad, why are you doing this to yourself? And he said, because my community is a good community with good people. These people that are torching my store from the very same community are not my community. Mm. And, you know, I come to this country believing in that ideal. And so I open every day. I don't have much on my shelves. I don't have a lot. And my wife tells me not to come in. Look, Richard, over here, this is where they broke in. This is what they burnt down. This is where we hid when they came in, but I still open every day. I go to the meat counter and I talk to the guy at the meat counter says, you know, I only got this one piece of beef sitting here (laughs) or one piece of meat, whatever it was. I can't remember, but that's what we do. We show up every day. And I thought that was selfless in a way that was, they risked their safety every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are lots of people that have done that, that I've seen, and I can share more if you like, but it's just really amazing.
0: Well, I know you mentioned Jacob Acevedo. Can you tell me a little bit about his story right now?
1: Yeah, you know, Jacob Acevedo, I was mentioning those hate crimes Mm -hmm. against Asian Americans specifically. And it's always a different group. It could be just the elderly. It could be those of people of color. It could be those with disabilities. It happens in schools all the time with children, unfortunately. In this case, it is a rash of senior citizens that happen to be of Asian descent being randomly thrown into the street pushed down on the ground. They're walking down the street. Some have died. Some have been in the hospital. Some have survived. And what Jacob decided to do in Oakland, California, because he works in the community, and he says, you know what? I'm going to volunteer myself and my young dog, a fearsome but kind dog. walk Anybody who would like me to walk you home. I'm a 20-something. I work an overnight shift, but I will get up. The next day to help you, whether you're a senior citizen or not, Mm -hmm. if you feel like it's unsafe for you to get from home to go shopping and to see that sort of gesture is amazing. Mm. It is what we want. Right, Jamie?
0: Yeah it is exactly what we want. Now, I hear this and being a person of faith as well, is I think, you know what, for me, it's like, this is what Jesus, this is how he lived, like the ultimate example of selflessness, right? right? Like he is our Mm -hmm. ultimate example of all things. And if we're talking about being selfless, this is him. And so there is a reason for us to also want to be like that. But you also talk about there being some science behind this. And so if it's not compelling enough to someone... (laughs) <laughs> that we should want to model our lives after yep. Jesus. Even if you don't think he's the Messiah and your Savior, he's still a really great guy, so we can model. But you talk about some scientific research behind selflessness. Can you talk about that with us?
1: Yeah, you know, it's really compelling. And one chapter, which is Goodness is Gorgeous, means that, <laughs> you know, if you do this stuff, you can actually, the science shows that if you're looking at what's in it for me for a moment, right? We actually live longer. We actually look better in the eyes of others, less disease, longer years, happier years. The reason why I dipped into science for this is no matter where you are on the spectrum of selflessness or faith, this is a good idea. And if you're going to be a, you know, just putting on my business hat, I was like, well, prove it to me. Mm-hmm. Why is this better for me? Yeah. And so in the book, you'll notice, because we had two researchers that joined the team to put this together, is that we show you the statistics of how those who are selfless live longer and look better. And I actually have a study of myself for those. And one study is really funny because the researcher said, Richard, we got to do one with a picture of you. There's going to be the selfish Richard and the selfless Richard and the one <laughs> in the middle. And people are just going to react to, based on the description, who they think is more attractive. And sure enough, selfless Richard in the study was seen as being more attractive marginally. Uh-huh. And you know I always thought I was a 6, I turned out that I was a 6.5 when I'm selfless, a 5.5 5 when I'm selfish.
0: It's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> my
1: point is, you know, when we are really thinking about the what's in it for me thing for a moment, which is human, it's good in all sorts of ways. Hmm. But when we think about it in our soul and what we want to do that which is right, it's even more powerful. And the thing is it's unexpected because we think it's a sacrifice. Mm. Indeed, sometimes it is, but more often it is one plus one equals three. It is not a, if I give to you, Jamie, therefore I lose that. If I give you five, I lose five. Mm. No, 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 no. Guess what? When I give you five together, we get eight or nine or 10, because mm. one plus one equals three. And I think sometimes we think about being selfless as a minus. Right. Of me.
0: I have to give up stuff. Right. I'm going to lose things. Yeah. Right.
1: I'm giving up my bread basket mm-hmm. to give to you, your bread basket. But we know in not only in the Christian faith, in all faiths, that mm-hmm. the word is that you really do get more. Yeah, And I think with my father's experience and me caring for him, I wasn't really thinking about sacrifice all the time. <laughs> but in the end, you know... I've gotten far more, and I didn't do it because I thought I was going to get far more, Mm -hmm. but I have gotten far more out of what I could be as a person because I did what I did. But that's not why I did it, Jamie. I had no idea.
0: For sure. Right. But you also mentioned earlier, like you saw an example set by your father through all these years of what that looked like. And it sounds like he was a selfless man and he was a servant and he was giving his life away for people around him. So that had to have also had an impact on you when you came to this crossroad.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. But I didn't know until I wrote the book, right? That I had to think about it, like what influenced me to make me want to do this. And it was my dad being a youth pastor and not being able to take care of the family cuz his salary as a youth yeah. pastor in the 50s gosh darn it
0: <laughs> was like nothing <laughs> oh yeah i mean yeah, yeah. i mean
1: and my mom's home taking care of kids you know where's the money coming in and then my mom then being a school teacher but then when we were older taking time off to care for us you know i, I realized why i sort of approached these things the way i did is in the back of my mind they were living it and they never said it but they just lived mm. it we had to get food stamps because My dad, because he couldn't afford taking care of the family as a youth pastor, became a social worker. Another, again, big money sort of job.
0: Mm -hmm, (laughs) So
1: he had to actually go to his fellow co-worker to get food stamps for himself. But they never gave up, Jamie. They stuck with their knitting. When my mom got asked if she would like to get a promotion as a school teacher to be like a vice principal or something, she was like, no, because I teach children. Mm. And in fact, she decided I want to go to the most difficult elementary school in the city. I was like, but mom, doesn't every school teacher want a promotion and right, make more money? Right. Move and- up
0: the ladder. She wanted to teach the kids. Till the end. You know, I think that is important for us as we're listening to, you know, as a mom of four kids, I'm always evaluating that my kids are watching what I'm doing. And, you know, unfortunately, they're probably picking up some really bad habits from me, you know, <laughs> think so. along the way. I'm sure there's something no. there. but they are watching and it matters about the people around us that we're serving. And so I want to ask you, what's different about you today than eight years ago?
1: First of all, that I'm in a book talking about selflessness. Number two, in the book, talking about faith. I mean, I'm a guy as a 13 or 14 year old kid thought I was the next disciple. I was an apostle. Uh huh. And you come into my circle, and I'm going to save you, right? And yeah. I talk about that in the book about, woo wee. That was uh, eye opening, and then completely was rejecting of what Christianity might be because of it's in the imperfection of people. Mm -hmm. I go through that in the book. So those are two surprising things that, you know, I'm actually, I normally keep it to myself Mm -hmm. because I respect everybody's journey Mm -hmm. in selflessness and faith and life. You know, you have your way and we will all find our way. And so the surprising part about this eight years later is that I'm putting it down in paper (laughs) and I'm here talking to you, Jamie, about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I do want to ask, you know, when you made this decision and walked into your boss's office and said, hey, something's got to change. And how amazing was she for you in that journey? I mean, I just read that and it was like, so great. How is your dad doing today?
1: He just got out of the hospital a week ago. And the tough part for us always is the doctors will say, hello, you know, got your dad at the emergency room. Because what happens is Alzheimer's, you forget how to eat. So what happens Mm -hmm. is you'll swallow food, gets into your lungs, you get pneumonia because you got all this stuff in your your lungs. So it's very common. So he's been in the hospital probably 10 times. And one of the first things we'll hear is you should let him go, you know, because my dad can't talk, can't walk and eats through a feeding tube. And the first things we'll say is we don't know medicine. We're not doctors, but we know one patient really, really well. And that's Stephen Louie. Like we know him really, really well. And so give him liquids, give him his antibiotics. He's probably dehydrated because he doesn't know how to say I'm thirsty when he gets a small infection. Right. Mm -hmm. You and I, when we get Mm -hmm. a small infection, we'll go, oh, I'm thirsty. I'm going to get some more water. I'm going to drink more water. And he can't do that. But my worry is it's always, Jamie, are we keeping him too long? Mm -hmm. Because we think of, you know, he's a very, he told us, and we remember this all the time. He says, you know, when it comes time, I'm ready to go. God's ready to take me home. And so we remember that. Mm-hmm. And so when it's ready, when time's ready, we're going to do that. But yeah. we also know that he was a person that's a fighter. And so when we look into his eye, we can tell, because again, we know one patient really well. Yeah. And so like the, the unfortunate thing about COVID is I can't be next to him and talk to him to figure that out. Yeah. In the old days, I would put on a, you know, some a headphones and I'd, it's an amplifier and I'd talk to him. I'd say, hey, dad, If you can hear me, because his eyes will always track and that's how we know he's there. Mm -hmm. But I determined that only by saying, hey, dad, if you can hear me, blink once. And then he'll blink once. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's what maybe he just happened to be blinking. Maybe that was just a a random blink. I
0: don't know. I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. He did it again. I pulled out my phone. I recorded it for the third time. I showed it to my family, and I said, "He's still there, Mm. and he is listening to us. And therefore, because he's listening, he's talking to me." Yeah. But I'm worried about keeping him too long, but that's above my pay grade, as they say. Yeah. But by him being there in that way, it's what inspires me to do this book and actually do these sorts of conversations. Yeah. I think he'd be surprised.
0: He'd probably be very, very proud too.
1: I don't know. I don't get my grammar right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I do know this. You wrote your dad a letter and you told him everything you were grateful for about him and you read it to him in his nursing home. When was that? And can you tell me about that?
1: It's very interesting because I feel like I've read it to him many times. Hmm. And I would say the, in summary, the letter that we all read to him now when we can is, and this is also a surprising thing about our journey here, Jamie, is that we, as part of talking with him, is to read a chapter of the Bible because that's what he knows. And by golly, when we get in through half of a chapter is when he's like, "Woo, He's there. Yeah, because, you know, the issue is like when you and I talk, you'll say, hey, Rich, how you doing? Hey, Jamie, how you doing? And we'll go back and forth naturally, right? But when you have Alzheimer's, there's no conversation. So what do I do? Like, I can't talk back. Hey, Dad, how you doing? Yeah, me too. Did you like that food? So he doesn't get to hear my voice long enough to identify me. And so, sure enough, my oldest brother, who surprised the heck out of everybody, said on the family text group, Hey, by the way, I just read John chapter one to dad and he perked up. So, two things out of that, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Number one is who read yeah. what <laughs> and what happened? Uh huh. You know, we're typical PKs, like yeah. we ran the other way, right? <laughs> and so, my oldest brother doing that. And because he named his two children after books of the Bible because of my father being a pastor. Mm-hmm. But when he did that, a lot of things, a lot of synapses went off in our heads. Number one, that's that little step I'm talking about. That's a win. Yeah. And these little things are really, really big. And sometimes we forget that. Number two was that that was the way to reach my father. Yeah. If there's one thing that is his soul and his brain all at once. Yeah. Yeah. It is the Bible, and mm. he studied it all the time, you know, endlessly. Super imperfect guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Would get, you know, the meaning of verses wrong all the time.
0: <laughs> Don't we all? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it weren't for my mom, you know, being such a great student, she would, you know, write all of his work. But in any case is that we he would perk up halfway through. Mm -hmm. And it was because of not only brain and heart, but also my voice, like he knows Mm -hmm. our voices and he was able to hear it for like 20 minutes. And so I know you asked me how my dad's doing and you got this like long soliloquy, but it's really been something else to go through caring for my father and all the lessons we're learning individually along the way about ourselves.
0: It's interesting how those things happen in your specific scenario is, you know, caring for your father as he has, uh, you know, this debilitating illness of Alzheimer's and fill in the blank for someone else of what their journey might be. You got it. Right. Where they're having to discover things about themselves through scenarios and circumstances. And I think You know, I feel like every interview I do right now, we reference 2020, but I think as difficult as 2020 was, and even 2021 still, there are going to be some things that we all come on five years on the other side that we say, I'm different because of that hardship. And that's a part of your journey right now, you know? And would you trade it to have your dad not have this 100%, you know? But it is one of the things that God does that we don't understand is that He's moving in you and your brother's lives in the midst of something very difficult. Well, well, Richard, I'm grateful for this book. I'm grateful for the time that you put into it and just talking with us today about why it actually matters to be selfless because I think as like quote unquote good Christian people, we're like, yes, we're supposed to be that way. But are we, you know, like, <laughs> are we actually doing that? And this is such a good reminder of why it matters. Richard, I would love to know what you are loving these days and what you're reading. In terms
1: of the book that, was, um, I think, a a semi-parallel or uh, at least informative was David Brooks' Second Mountain and how he was discussing living in a very successful existence and then realizing that there was this other thing. And it was driven for him by spirituality and faith. And, you know, that was really great to see somebody share what they wouldn't normally share, I think, at mm-hmm. least after watching him in politics for so long.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think David French has done some great work as well about thinking higher and bigger and yeah. what we do in his writings as very yeah. complex people. Those sorts of ideas are why, you know, but they're, they, they've done it in practical ways, Jamie. And so that's why with Enough About Me, I really wanted it to be kind of a mechanics manual. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to throw out a big ideas, but then how do we do it? And right. so that's why like you brought up the idea of muscle memory there's idea mm-hmm. of three lunches there's idea of 10 stones all these things that try to make it bite size so it's not too like way up here. Yes. Instead, yes, it's on the ground.
0: Yes. I wanted to ask you about three lunches. Can you give us that real quick? I'm hungry
1: too, right? It's about that time <laughs> right? of Right.
0: <the> <laughs> I read this and I was like, I saw the way you wrote this and I just thought, man, that sounds really scary and difficult and uncomfortable. So tell us all why we should do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not you. I know you. That, for you, this is the easy thing for you. So, you know, what we did is we were figuring out, well, how do we get rid of prejudice that we may have? You know,
0: which we all have, by the way, everyone that's listening. Yeah, I
1: do. I got it. I yep. try to work around it and learn about it. And the way I do it is this idea of three lunches, which is to not only make a list of three people you thought you'd never hang out with and then have lunch with them. But then have three lunches with them. There's a study out of Stanford that shows, let's just say you and I have prejudice against each other for some reason. You know, you don't like people that have uh, gray hair. I got some gray hair now. Uh, <laughs> I don't like people that have brown hair, whatever the case may be. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it showed that after three gatherings, you and me, Jamie, all of a sudden, whatever that prejudice was about gray hair and brown hair was gone. And the bottom line is if we just get together and share three lunches, how much better would the place be? And that's really accessible. Make the list of three people you thought you'd never hang out with. Then try to have three lunches with them or have one, start with one. And, so
0: good, right? Yes, I mean because we always are talking about so many guests on the happy about why proximity matters, and proximity matters because you can't still hate people with gray hair when you become a friend with someone with gray hair, and that's a you know a silly example that we're both using. But you change your ideas about immigration when you meet an immigrant. You change your idea about a gay person when you meet a gay person. You change your idea about a single whatever you know, and so it just matters. And those necessarily are not people that you disagree with, but just differences yeah. and then spending time with them. So that I so love true. it.
1: Yeah, no, it's so true. In the book, we show why we are that way. We're social. We're the most social being on the earth. And what even when we're asleep, Jamie, the study that we referenced shows that we're still thinking about Hey, did Jamie like me or didn't like How do I better get to know Jamie? Like after this call, when i sleep sleeping up tomorrow, we're just, we're built that way. Yeah. Our brain is always thinking about how can we be better friends with somebody else once we've met them?
0: Mm-hmm. So good. Richard. Thank you so much. Congrats on this book. It just came out a couple of days ago. You guys get it wherever you can. Enough about me, the unexpected power of selflessness. Not only is your story throughout here, but it also is practical and scientific and all the things that make you go, I can actually do this. So thank you.
1: Jamie, thank you so much. This is really great. And I do like people with brown hair better now today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you. Gray hair, gray hair. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with him. I know I did. It was just such an encouragement to me to think about the importance of selflessness and how sometimes we don't think about it at all. So I'm grateful for Richard in this conversation. I think I might have mentioned my conversation with Amy Wolf. If I didn't mention it, I'd like to mention it now. I had a conversation with Amy Wolf back in December of 2018. So it's been a while ago. If you want to search that, it's episode 224. And in that conversation, we talk about how she became friends with someone who is so very, different from her and how much that has brought joy to her life it made me think about that when Richard talked about his three lunches that he talks about having with people that are different than you and I think proximity changes everything and when we have conversations with people who have different ideas than us or different theologies look different than us it changes the way we think about them. You guys check out Richard's book, Enough About Me, if you're interested in hearing more about his journey with selflessness. Today's show was mixed and edited by the team at Podshaper. The show notes are written by Abby Castell. The music is developed by Matt Graham, and the whole thing is put together and produced by Lindsay Sweeney. I'm your host, Jamie Ivey. Friends, enjoy your week. Have a happy hour with a friend. Call a friend and tell them that you're cheering for them. Also, find ways that you can look around and actually put into practice the selflessness that we talked about today. I'll see you guys next week for another episode.